What is up, gang? This is your boy Mel, aka Naldo Formula One, and you are now tuned into the Naldo F1 podcast. We are here for episode 16, and we got this thing rocking and rolling. This is going to be recorded post Hungarian Grand Prix. I literally just finished watching the race maybe 30 minutes ago. So, a lot of stuff is still pretty fresh in my mind. And yeah, it was an okay race. A little bit disappointing if you are not a Max Verstappen fan, but what else is new this season? It's been pretty much a disappointment for everybody who's not a Max Verstappen fan. And by listening to that, you can probably already tell that Max won the race in very dominating fashion, followed by Lando Norris and Sergio Perez rounded out the podium finishers. Lewis Hamilton finished fourth. Oscar Piastri, another good result for McLaren. He finished fifth. George Russell had a good recovery drive to get back to sixth. Charles Leclerc, seventh. Carlos Sainz, eighth. Another disappointing result for Ferrari. Aston Martin looks like they're falling off the wagon with uh, Fernando Alonso finishing ninth. Lance Stroll finishing tenth. Those round out the points finishers. Alex Albon right outside the points and 11th. Botas finished 12th a disappointing day for Alfa Romeo after a good quality man Daniel Ricardo in his Alfa Tauri debut finished 13th Nico Hulkenberg 14th Sonoda 15th Gwen Zhou finished 16th Kevin Magnussen 17th Logan Sargent did not finish Esteban Ocon didn't finish and Pierre Gasly didn't finish yeah that's that was our results Saturday qualifying, I think, pretty much took the cake as far as the excitement and expectations, and we thought it was going to be potentially a really good race, and it had some moments, but qualifying really was where it was at. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch qualifying from Saturday. It's super exciting. It came right down to the wire with Sir Lewis Hamilton taking his 104th pole at the last time of asking, and... He took it by only three thousandths of a second, so yeah, .003 seconds. I thought he was going to bottle it at the end of the lap. I'm not going to lie. Um, I really, I, after sector two, he was a tenth and a quarter up, maybe on on Max. He hadn't set any purple sectors yet, so I was a little nervous. And Max didn't improve on his lap, and Lando improved, but not by enough. And so he took provisional P2, and Lewis was on his final lap. He was the last man on track. And as he was coming into the final corner, I believe he understeered through the final corner and lost quite a bit of time. I think he probably lost a tenth or two through the last corner with that understeer moment and still managed to put in a good Lewis lap and take – pole position for the 104th time in his career and it was it was crazy I like I leaped out of my seat and I was like yelling I know my neighbors probably hate me right now but it had been so long it's been 34 races he hasn't had a pole position since Saudi Arabia of 2021 so a whole season plus an extra race without a pole position and then going into this year we are what this is what round 12 around 11 around 12 of the season without a pole position so it's been a while for lewis unfortunately wasn't able to convert that into a w today but honestly i don't know if that was ever on he had had a pretty bad start 
as far as Lewis standards is concerned. Normally, he's um, fantastic off the line, but by his standards, he had a really bad start. He kind of took off, got alongside Max. They were neck and neck. He was pushing Max towards the dirtier right side of the track down the main straight. And I think he was focused a little bit too much on Max and kind of forgot about the McLaren surrounding him and kind of just got swarmed by the McLarens. Oscar Piastri took a huge dive down the inside at turn one, and then Lando Norris kind of got him around the outside going into turn two. And so Lewis ended up fourth after starting on pole position. Max led start to finish pretty much. Once I knew, once he got into the lead, I knew it was pretty much wraps after that. But what else did we really expect? That the Red Bull team came out and came and said that they had compromised their setup a little bit from qualifying to the race, so meaning that they set the car up more so for the race than they were for quali- than they did for qualifying. So they knew they would be lacking a little bit on pace in in qualifying but they knew they would be able to make up for it with a good race car and both drivers showed that today Checo cut right through the field pretty easily in what I think was a sort of statement drive for Checo he started what P9 and pretty much cut his way right through the field and made his way up onto the podium which he desperately needed after the run of form that he's been on with his Q1 and Q2 exits and finishing barely in the points or low points finishes, not getting on podiums, not matching his teammate on pace. It had just been a tough, tough stretch for Checo. And I think he really desperately needed this result. And he felt the pressure starting to mount, especially with the good qualifying that Daniel had yesterday or uh, two days ago, if you're if you're listening to this. And so for Checo to qualify P9 and get out-qualified by two Alfa Romeos was a little bit of an embarrassment. And then Daniel qualified P13 in an Alfa uh, Alpha Tauri that last week or two weeks ago looked like the slowest car on the grid. So the pressure was mounting, I think, for Checo, and he really needed a good result. And to his credit, he pulled through and got it done today. So hats off to Checo good race for him. I thought Lewis might be able to nip him right at the end of the race. It was really annoying to see because he cut the, he was cutting the gap down really rapidly. He pit pretty late for his second stop as opposed to the rest of the drivers at the front. And he overtook Oscar Piastri late in the race and was cutting down the gap tremendously to check off. I mean, he was taking like seven, eight tenths a lap, sometimes up to a second plus a lap out of Checo's lead or gap from from Lewis, and I thought he would nip him right at the end, but he just didn't have enough pace. I think maybe another lap or two, and he would have snagged that that podium position and probably would have been a little bit less salt in the wound of taking pole and not being able to get on the podium. But, you know, it is what it is. Mercedes have a lot of kinks to work out. We'll kind of get a little bit deeper into Mercedes later on in the show, but for now that yeah it was a, it was an okay result finishing fourth and sixth for mercedes scoring more points than their rival aston martin who are in p2 right now in the constructors championship i actually don't know where they stand as of right now after like post hungary we can actually check on that right now but 
Let's get on to the Ferraris. It was a disappointing race for Ferrari. So, yeah, Mercedes have firmly overtaken Aston Martin in uh, the Constructors' Championship. They have 223 points to Aston Martin's 184 points. So, Aston Martin are kind of falling off the wagon right now, and they're they're reeling a little bit, and they kind of need to get it together after looking so strong, at least in the hands of Fernando Alonso at the beginning of the season. Yeah, they're definitely kind of reeling right now. And it's a little disappointing to see, but I think they'll come good in a couple more races. I do think Mercedes is just a better outfit over the course of the entire season, but I think Aston Martin will put up a better fight in some of the coming races. I think some of the the coming up circuits kind of suit their car a little bit better than what we've seen before. And so, yeah, I expect to see a closer fight for the rest of the season now. Back to Ferrari. Oh, what a, another disappointing race for Ferrari. More pain for Ferrari. They um, split the strategies to start the race. So Leclerc started on mediums and signs, started on a brand new set of soft tires because I believe he was out in Q2. So he had an extra set of softs to be able to start on. And they didn't do anything with it, really. They kind of left him behind Charles for the entire first stint which was a complete waste of time. I, I just – I don't get it, man. I don't get what goes through their noggin when they're putting these strategy calls together. I mean, the guys at home, we're, I'm a a couch strategist, and I can tell you that that wasn't going to work out properly. And so for them to leave signs behind Leclerc for the entirety of the first stint when he was on the faster compound attire, when they could have used him to attack the likes of – Lewis Hamilton and the McLarens earlier on in the race and try to give themselves track position earlier on in the race. They didn't do that. They decided to leave him behind Charles for the entirety of the first stint and pretty much waste the whole point of putting him on the soft tire to begin with. And I just, it's so frustrating, even from somebody who's not a Ferrari fan, just watching it is, it's nauseating. (laughs) It really is. It, that's the best way to describe it is it's absolutely nauseating. It makes me sick to, to watch a team with this many resources and this amount of money behind them and backing and sponsorship and the high level of employees and team members, mechanics, engineers, aerodynamicists that they put together to be able to just come out here and just do absolute bullshit every weekend. It's it's unreal. It's almost like they're doing this on purpose. And so they finally decided to bring signs in after maybe early teen laps. So like 12, 13 off the soft tires, pit him. And then they pit Charles Leclerc and have a nightmare pit stop from Charles Leclerc. It's like a nine second pit stop. Couldn't get one of the tires off. It was just, it was ridiculous. And that pretty much wrecked his entire race, he ended up recovering, but later on down the line, he picked up his he picked himself up a five second penalty for speeding in the pit lane, and that's just that's quintessential Charles at this point. It's you know he has the pace, and I think I've said this multiple times, and you've heard anyone who knows F one speak about it multiple times that Charles has the out and out pace to be a world champion, be a multi time world champion, and an all time great. But he just cannot 
avoid these these mental errors that come through every now and then. I mean, speeding in the pit lane. Now everybody's done it before and it happens. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna shoot him a little bit of bail. I'm not gonna go too hard on him, but it's one of those mental errors where you're just like, it was just unforced, an unnecessary turnover. It was one of those football interceptions where you just throw it straight to the defense and it, you're wondering how the quarterback just didn't see the safety or corner, whatever, standing right there. And for Charles to pick up that penalty, it cost him a position because George ended up snagging six position. Was it six? Yeah, six position from him due to his penalty. He wasn't able to overtake him on track. But because of the penalty, Charles ended up moving back from from sixth to seventh. In this, I mean, in a in a battle this close for for positioning in the constructors championship, that's those points are crucial, man, and they're hard to come by for Ferrari right now. So you got to get every position you can, and th- that stuff starts to add up over the course of a season, and can cost you places in the constructors championship and millions of dollars. Now I know Ferrari are not really pressed for cash like that. I think the top four or five teams. Don't necessarily care too much about the prize money because they're going to make that up with sponsorships and brand deals and just the weight of their name alone and the revenue that they generate. But still, you do you still need the the standing just to for bragging rights and for confidence purposes. If you're finishing fourth or fifth in the constructors championship as opposed to second or third, that says a lot about the team and that can really shift some energy going into the following seasons and carry on through this era because we're stuck in this era. The regulations are frozen until 2026. So you still got another three seasons or two seasons after this one of these exact same aero and engine regulations. So if you can't develop, you're you're stuck where you're at pretty much. And that's that's the worry right now is that everybody's kind of stuck where they're at. Red Bull are going to dominate this era until 2026. We'll see what happens. And then it'll be a three- or four-way fight for second place and then everybody else between second place, between being the McLarens, the Ferraris, Mercedes, and Aston Martins. But who knows, man. As far as McLaren, another great weekend for them. They are they're here. McLaren are here and they are an absolute problem, man. They are now looking like regular podium sitters and look like the second best team on the grid right now and are poised to potentially put up the closest fight that we've seen to Red Bull by the end of the season if they can continue to upgrade their car and punch in these results. I mean, the gap is still pretty wide. I think Max finished, yeah, he finished 33 seconds. (laughs) So almost the entire half a lap up on on Norris, who finished second. But it's been the closest, if you consider Silverstone and this weekend, for the most part, uh, especially earlier on in the stints, McLaren were right there. I think Max was only maybe five or six seconds ahead of uh, Piastri, who is objectively, I think, the slower driver out of the McLarens, at least over the course of a whole race. He was only Max was only five or six seconds ahead of Piastri throughout most of the first stint, 
And then after the first pit stops, you know, the the hard tires weren't really working for the McLaren this weekend. Well, at least in the hands of Piastri, Norris did a pretty good job on the hard tires this week, which I didn't expect. And so he was able to get extract a little bit more pace out of the hard tire. And Piastri really wanted to be on the medium tire. And I think he went a little bit early onto the medium tires, which is why I think he suffered towards the end and why I think Lewis was able to snag that position. But yeah, it um, it was a really good result for McLaren to be able to finish, what was that, fifth and third? Or fifth and second, I'm sorry. So another podium for them. Still waiting on that double podium. It looked like it might have been on today, but... Oscar lost out in the pits a little bit, and then he was just lacking a little bit of pace on the hard tire and on the medium tire towards the end of that stint. And Checo was on a mission too, so if the Red Bull, if Checo can put the Red Bull where it's supposed to be, I mean that's two podium spots pretty much accounted for every single week, and so it'll make it tough to to achieve that double podium that they so desperately are after. Um, Mercedes, it was an okay weekend for them. I think that they got pretty much the max out of what they could have wanted. I think a podium might have been on, given some a little bit of adjustment. I think they pitted Lewis a little bit too late on his last stint, the, the second pit stop. And that was a little bit frustrating. Uh, their pit stops aren't always the greatest, which really frustrates me. Because you would think that a team like Mercedes would be, that's a, such a well-oiled machine, would be able to make the right strategy calls every weekend, get clean, quick pit stops in and out. I'm, I feel like Mercedes emphasizes consistency over like trying to be the quickest possible and potentially making mistakes, which I understand to a certain extent, but they're consistently putting in 2.7, 2.8 second pit stops, which is slow considering where the rest of the grid are. I think McLaren, Williams, and Red Bull perform the fastest pit stops. I think Red Bull might snag the fastest pit stop of the season. I don't know what the official timings look like, but uh, Checo, I believe, had a 1.9 second pit stop, which is unreal, absolutely unreal. I don't know... If you watch like a Formula One pit stop, it's it's almost like machines are doing it. These guys are so, so good and so robotic. I mean, you got the wheel gun man, wheel off, wheel on man, and it's literally a seamless motion. It's like they're all one person. They literally hit it, hit the wheel nut with the wheel gun. As soon as it's loose, the, the wheel off man is, is snatching it. Wheel on man is putting it on it all within one motion, tightening it down and dropping the car off the jacks, and they're gone. And it's split second. You blink, and you miss it almost. So for Red Bull to be able to consistently put in pit stops like that, McLaren had some amazing pit stops today in the low two-second range, 2.1, 2.2, 2.3 second pit stops. It, it That stuff adds up over the course of a race, especially on a two-stop race. If you're losing nine eight to nine tenths on a pit stop per pit stop that's three seconds that's an overcut or an undercut in losing a, a position on track right there and so mercedes it's it's frustrating for them 
to not be able to live up to the level that a lot of the team other teams are are pushing out as far as like their logistics and strategy calls and stuff like that. Again, I think that they left Lewis out a little bit too late. I feel like if they would have pitted him maybe a couple laps earlier, he probably would have been able to snag that last podium spot from Checo because he was right there towards the end. And I think he needed another two, maybe two laps to one more lap to get within DRS range and then another lap to get closer and follow through that final corner and be able to snag that position off of Checo. Now, George, I think they got the maximum out of George. I really don't know what more they could have done. I mean, man, man started P18 and worked his way up to P6. So that's about as good as a recovery drive as you could have asked for from George, especially considering that they look like the third fastest team on the grid. So I don't think he would have been able to to catch Oscar. And obviously Lewis was a pretty much a whole pit stop clear of George in by the second pit stop strategy so I don't think there there was a whole lot more that they could have done for George's race uh the Aston Martins I spoke on them a little bit they are in no man's land right now and they're reeling a bit I do think that they'll come good later on the season but we didn't see a whole lot of Fernando he defended really well from Checo for a couple of laps but I mean there's only so much that you can do when you're going up against that Red Bull with a driver who's locked in like Checo was today. Stroll, I think they did. I think both the Astons did okay to finish both in the points. And it, given the pace of the car and what it looked like, it's probably the best that they could have asked for this weekend. But not not what they would have wanted and not what they're hoping for. Albon put in another good result. The Williams looked a decent car this weekend, at least in the hands of Alex. Logan looked okay uh, before his DNF. He had a spin in a moment. I think he might have went over some curving, I think, and ruined his floor, and Williams just decided to save the car. But I think he was running – now he's running towards the back, so we got to put this into perspective. But I think he was ha- doing having an okay race up until that point. Uh, the Alpha Towers looked a little bit better this weekend. Daniel finished ahead of his teammate at the first time of asking, finishing in P13 with Sonoda in P15. Daniel had basically, I think he finished where he qualified. Decent result for them. I think that's about as good as you could have asked for. Nothing crazy. He looked pretty good in the first stint, but I think that over the course of the race, I don't think that Alpha Tower is very good on its tires. And so what more can you really expect from 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 those guys? Uh, we'll, I'm excited to see how they'll progress through the rest of the season and how much Daniel will help with their development and pushing that car forward and trying to extract more pace out of it. So, yeah, I, I, okay result for, for Alpha Tauri. I mean, it's hard to kind of rate once you get past the points positions, because you're like, obviously it's not a good finish. A good finish will be finishing in the points, but you have to give it a little bit of perspective and context based on where the car is at on any given weekend compared to their competitors. And so a decent result for them. 
Haas, we know what it is with Haas. They're really good qualifiers, but they're horrible on their tires, and they just lack pace over multiple laps in a race. <clears throat> and so not really not really much to say about Haas. They're they're just a back marker. They stink slightly a lot. Yeah, they're just they're just not a good outfit. Leadership, development, they just they don't they don't have it all put together. Hulkenberg is pretty much getting the maximum out of that car every week, at least in qualifying. He's usually right on the fringe of Q three which is amazing result for, for Hulkenberg. And I owe Nico an apology. I think I was pretty vocal about not understanding why he was getting another shot. I mean, I, I know why, because they know exactly what they're getting and he's consistent. But he's actually been performing extremely well and kind of been slapping up his teammate this whole season. We thought that Magnuson was good last year because of what he was doing against Mick and getting that pole position in um in brazil last year so we thought that magnuson was really performing well but then nico coming in from what two or three years removed from formula one and smacking up magnuson who's a decent driver so i got to put some respect on nico's name man he he's really proven me and i think a lot of other people wrong i know uh my boy tomo f1 great uh youtube content creator another formula one creator he has like this running graphic and it's basically a worksheet fill out where it's an apology to nico hulkenberg and essentially just telling the world that hey i i owe nico hulkenberg an apology because i wasn't familiar with his game and i didn't put enough respect on his name and hey, i had to i had to eat a little bit of, of humble pie with that one and I didn't put enough respect on Nico's name. He's he's putting in some decent results for Haas. Disappointing result for Alfa Romeo, considering where they were at the beginning of the season. Or I said at the beginning of the season, at the beginning of the weekend, and the pace that they were showing all weekend, especially with their qualifying result, qualifying P5 with uh, Joe and P7 with Botas. They had an awful beginning of the race i mean joe went joe is the direct cause of both of the alpines being out so a, another double dnf for the alpines is just crushing for them two weekends in a row double dnfs you just that's unheard of in modern formula one and that was a direct result of joe i don't I guess they, they just considered it was at a first lap incident. I don't really know how he didn't pick up a penalty for that. Because he on the start he bogged down and basically was getting swamped uh off the line and he just missed his breaking point, went straight up the back of Ricardo's gearbox. And I do believe that had something to do with the lack of pace from Ricardo. He probably picked up a little bit of damage with that incident. And so basically, Joe went straight up the back of Ricardo, and Ricardo crashed into Ocon, who in turn crashed into uh, Pierre. And it was terminal damage. He punctured the tire. There was a huge gaping hole, probably like the size of a watermelon, in Pierre's side pod. Esteban went airborne, and 
probably destroyed his suspension in the floor and they just had to retire both cars. So pretty sad result for Alpine as and pretty much to no fault of their own. Who knows where they could have been. They maybe get one of the cars in the points. They didn't look too quick this weekend. So my expectations weren't the highest. But who knows? They could have potentially gotten some sort of points finish out of this. But that was taken away by the likes of Alfa Romeo's. And that pretty much wrecked Joe's race. I think he had to pit food to change his front wing and ended up finishing second to last. P16 as far as the guys who actually finished the race and excluding the the guys who DNF'd. So disappointing result for them. Williams, decent. Yeah, that pretty much covers uh, the race result today. It was an okay race on a scale of 1 to 10. I'd probably give it like a a 6.5. Decent. Not worth me getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning to watch it, especially I was up pretty late last night. But I probably could have just woken up a little bit later, maybe nine, ten o'clock, and just watched the re-recording of it. But I was so excited that Lewis was starting on pole that I had to see what kind of result he could squeak out with starting on pole at one of his best circuits. And it just didn't work out the way it was supposed to, but that's racing. Uh, a little sad. I, I really want him to get a race win this year. I don't know if that's on the cards. Red Bull looked way too dominant with them taking their 12th consecutive victory dating back to Abu Dhabi of last year. And that is a new Formula One record beating the McLaren MP4 car from, I forgot what year that was, maybe 90. Hold on, let me look it up so I don't take, give you guys false information. But basically, the McLaren MP4 car from the Prost and Senna days, who won 11 races in a row. And what is this? What year is this? MP4. 88. Yeah, the the 1988 season with uh, the great Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost. Just just absolutely dominant car, and Red Bull have inserted themselves right up there with the likes of the greats, and Max taking his sixth consecutive victory. I think Max could potentially break um, Sebastian Vettel's record for nine consecutive victories in one season pretty easily. I mean, what, he needs four more race victories to beat that, and Red Bull brought upgrades this week and the car looks fast and it doesn't look like anybody's catching them anytime soon and so barring a catastrophic race or some sort of mechanical failure that we are all potentially hoping and waiting and praying for just to spice it up a little bit just mix things up obviously I don't want anybody in danger but if we could just get a max gearbox failure or something just one weekend just to make it interesting or can him and Checo take each other out at the on lap 1 I don't I don't know man something we got to we got to do something but right now it looks like Red Bull and Max are just completely untouchable and look like they're on to extend this record and who knows they could this could be 20 race victories straight 
a record that'll probably never be touched, especially considering now modern Formula One and how it's very car dominant and that reliability really just isn't an issue for most teams anymore. You just rarely see mechanical DNFs and engine failures. They're they're once a once a once every what four or five races there may be one or two drivers that have an engine failure maybe and that's that's usually not likely i think we've only had a handful of actual mechanical engine failures this year as a whole so who knows how far they'll be able to extend this 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 winning streak but i hope for all of our sanities that it doesn't go too far cuz we need just a fresh face on the top of the top step of the podium Hopefully it'll be Lewis Hamilton. Just saying. Just saying. I need I need my man back on the top step of the podium. He was so happy after taking the pole position. You could hear the emotion through the team radio afterwards and in his interview afterwards. I think that it would just mean the world to him after everything that he's been through over the past couple of years. To be able to uh, snag that race victory, that would be race win, what, 103, I believe, for Lewis Hamilton. And he's still chasing it, still striving, striving for greatness. He said that he is still on a mission to try to win world title number eight and doesn't isn't showing any signs of trying to give up on that mission. I think that he just needs the car. The car has to be there, and the team have to get right, and they have to all be on the same page to be able to make that happen. All right. Um, let's see. Anything else interesting from qualifying or just racing in general this weekend? Decent Hungarian Grand Prix. One of my favorite circuits, an underrated circuit, I believe. They've produced some really good races over the years, and I believe they've just renewed contract through 2032 so we have hungry for at least another nine years nine to ten years so that'll be good to see keep the traditional race circuits on um don't we can maybe get into a little bit of street circuit talk and the future of f1 with the track selection and stuff but hungry is a great race if you're in europe it's one of the best to go to it's really cheap the average ticket prices relative to the rest of the calendar are super cheap in Hungary. I know here in the U.S., all three races are bonkers. Like, it's so stupid. The Every time I get online and check the code of prices and try to see if I can get in and snag some sort of ticket or something, it just, the more and more I look at it, the less feasible that it really looks. And don't even get me started on Miami or Vegas, and I just saw a graphic um, that was sent to me about like the average ticket cost uh, from race to race over the course of the 2023 season, and all three U.S. teams were three out of the top four most expensive. So Vegas took the cake with an average ticket price, I think, of like $1,700, and then Miami was right behind it at – uh how much was Miami was like eleven or twelve hundred. And then beating out Monaco of all 
places. Like Monaco is the race to go to when you think Formula One. Your brain automatically goes to Monaco. I mean, it's the jewel of the F1 calendar. It's the most coveted win in the F1 calendar. The most exciting qualifying session. One of the most dangerous races with how tight the margins are and how close you are to the barriers at any given point on the track. And to be frankly honest, just the two U.S. races that are at the top being Miami and Vegas being two pretty shitty circuits, just being being bluntly honest. Miami's okay, and obviously we haven't seen racing at Vegas yet, but the layout would lend me to believe that the racing's not going to be the greatest. I mean, Jesus Christ, that straight is absolutely nuts. The back straight is so long. I've seen clips from like the, the F1 game, and like you're literally on the back straight for almost half the lap. It, it just doesn't even make sense, like half of your lap time. It just doesn't even make sense. And Miami has some of the elements of a good track, but um, the uh, the Sector 3 is just terrible. Like, those slow-speed corners and that, like, I don't even know what you want to call it. Like, it just it's, it's a terrible sector. It, it ruins the entire track, which is actually pretty decent. The first sector is really cool. It's flowing stuff along back straight, good overtaking opportunities, but as soon as you get to Sector 3, it's just, it's just terrible. And then Coda took the cake at number four spot, which Coda's a great track. I think it's probably the most underrated track on the calendar, along with maybe, in my opinion, Bahrain. Bahrain's a really underrated track. And now I think Spain. Spain has become up there too. I mean, Spain has been shit on for years and years and years about how bad the racing was and how boring it was and how hard it was it was to overtake. But now that they've removed the chicane from the final corner and now you can follow through and make overtakes into turn one it's become really good and even this is the first year that they did it and the past two spanish grand prix have been really good so i think those three circuits are probably my three most underrated code is an absolutely beautiful magnificent magnificent circuit and i think that it deserves to be up there but the ticket prices just don't justify like the actual circuit, there's races that I would rather go to more so than Spain. I'd rather go or to than Coda. I'd rather go to Silverstone. I think I'd rather go to Singapore. Yeah, I think those are probably Japan, Suzuka. I'd rather go to Suzuka than than Coda, even though I think the racing is better at Coda than it is at Suzuka. But that's different point, different argument. But yeah, ticket prices are just just nuts in Formula One right now. Still gonna try to make it happen, but who knows? There's no telling what what's in the cards for the future. That pretty much covers it as far as like racing in the Hungarian Grand Prix and like my my review. Uh, the drivers, everybody performed well. Nobody really had a super stinker. I think everybody kind of finished where we thought they would finish. Outside of the Alphas, I think the Alphas had a little bit of a stinker just based on where they qualified. But again, qualifying pace and race pace are two completely different things. It can be a lot easier to put one lap together and be quick over one lap as opposed to just fucking fly, man. Um, 
as opposed to putting a lap, a quick lap together over and over and over again, back to back to back, and relying on your team to be fast and quick in the pit stops. So let's pivot a little bit and just chat about just some topics that I've seen swirling around in the Formula One community. Um, again, Lewis still hasn't signed his contract extension for Mercedes. I'm still not too stressed about that. I think that they'll get it done in due time. I think that they're trying to work out the finer details of the the contract, not necessarily the big stuff, which is the money and the term length agreement. I think they're trying to deal with more of like the small stuff, the incentives, logistics, that sort of thing. The stuff that the lawyers like to brush over and necessarily always can't agree on and agents and dealing with that sort of thing and brand reps and brand deals and how are they going to translate his salary i know there's been there's been rumors of that but i'm i'm pretty confident that they'll get it done in due time i think uh summer break will probably be will probably be when we hear the announcement of a new lewis hamilton contract uh other than that there have been some rumblings that there's a couple teams under investigation for cost cap infringements and so here we go again, full circle, man. Last year, we had a couple teams under investigation. I think Williams, but theirs was like administrative filing uh, infringements, not necessarily breaking the cost cap. But Aston and, well, who was it? Aston and um, Red Bull last year were were penalized for infringing the uh breaking the cost cap and now the severity of the punishment i really don't want to get into it it frankly it was bs like red bull are not suffering whatsoever from their cost cap punishment and so i think i was talking about this with uh, my supervisors the other day we were just chatting f1 and they've they've opened up i think the fia and F1 leadership have opened up Pandora's box with essentially letting Red Bull off with a slap on the wrist because now all the other teams have incentive to break the cost cap and if you try to punish them for it they will just point the finger and say hey y'all didn't Red Bull won championships and this is the punishment that y'all gave them y'all took away some wind tunnel time that hasn't affected them whatsoever. And at least with the eye test, it hasn't affected them at all. And so how are you going to punish us? Come down hard on us. Pause. (laughs) Come down hard on us for breaking the cost cap when you let the world champions get off with a slap on the wrist. And so I think that the FIA, whether... It would have stirred up problems and Red Bull would have kicked up a fuss about it, but they should have just brought down a harsher punishment on Red Bull. They should have thrown the book at them and made an example out of them so that they know that the rest of the teams, for a fact, knew that if we break the cost cap, there's going to be severe punishment, sporting punishment, not arrow regulation punishment, but actual points deductions and like real something that you can actually see and feel 
And I'm not saying this as a Lewis fan. I'm just saying this as a Formula One fan because now you've opened Pandora's box and now the likes of the Mercedes and the Astons and the McLarens and the Ferraris are going to come back and they're going to say, okay, we'll spend a couple extra million dollars and take the arrow punishment if that means that we can potentially win races and get on podiums and get closer to Red Bull. I think that they'll take that all day of the week because, or if even if we're talking just fines, like these teams are not pressed for cash. They're, they'll pay a fine with. All right. And we are back. So fly down. The fly has been taken care of. He was driving me absolutely insane. And so man had to go, man. There's just no two ways about it. I, yeah, he had to go. So back to what I was saying about breaching the cost cap. Red Bull or the FIA should have come down really hard on Red Bull and made an example out of them and just rule with an iron fist through the book at them because now you set the precedent that it's cool to break the cost cap, which defeats the whole purpose of the cost cap uh, in general, like to begin with. The whole purpose of the cost cap was to try to limit the amount of spending that the top teams did and bring the the whole field closer together. And so if you're allowing the top teams to break the cost cap and get away with it anyway, then that just defeats the entire purpose of having it in the first place. And we should just go back to what we were doing before and just allow, allowing the guys to spend however much they can. So where does that leave us now? It leaves us with just a free-for-all and a little bit of Armageddon as far as how teams are going to navigate this these new regulations and cost cap and stuff like that. And speaking of, I've been hearing rumblings that there may be some – these teams are finding ways to circumvent the cost cap and use other outlets to – do research and development on their their Formula One cars, those other outlets being their road cars, specifically with the Mercedes-AMG One and the Aston Martin Valkyrie, which are two of the most high-performing road legal, road legal cars. I don't think the Valkyrie is road legal, but it's a consumer track car, and then the AMG One is not road legal in the U.S., but it's road legal overseas. And so the teams are, or not teams, that these brands are using those cars to develop their F1 technology. And I mean, if you see, I'll drop pictures of the cars, but if you see these cars, they're essentially like Formula One cars and like WEC prototype hypercars fused together. Like the AMG One has the exact Formula One powertrain in it, the hybrid V6, 1.6 liter hybrid turbo V6 has DRS. It has all kind of air on it. I mean, it's like smashed the Nürburgring record for road legal cars. And then the Valkyrie has been absolutely demolishing um, track records at multiple different tracks across the world. And not only that, but the Valkyrie was led like the development of Valkyrie was led by Adrian Newey. If you don't know who Adrian Newey is, Adrian Newey is the basically head of development and design for Red Bull Racing. 
And so he is the man that's responsible for Red Bull domination right now. And so him collaborating with Aston Martin and from what I've heard, he almost bankrupt Aston Martin with the development of the Valkyrie because there was so much research and tech put into that car that Aston is a brand that are not the biggest cash cow and money machine. I mean, they're not like a Mercedes or a GM or a Volkswagen group where they just have unlimited amounts of money or like a Toyota. Aston is a very small brand. They don't sell a lot of cars from year to year. And to be frank, the DBX saved their brand. The SUV saved the Aston Martin brand. And so I don't get how it's allowed for a team to be able to contract out their lead developer to what is technically a rival brand and they collaborate and create this crazy hyper car that's not even road legal. It's literally just a track car. And you, there's, I'm sorry, I just refuse to believe that there's no tech that translate from formula one to these these road hypercars and that also goes from mercedes as well like I, I just feel like the teams are using that as a way to circumvent having to pay for development through formula one underneath the cost cap because hey if we go over here and build this uh crazy hyper road car and we just so happen to take some engineers over there and so aerodynamics over there and test some components that could potentially also be used in a formula one car and we just you know slide the paperwork underneath the door to because i mean the the facilities are they're all under one roof these guys just go over there and hey i might just whoop, i draw accidentally dropped an envelope right here with all of the designs and drawings or i sent it over through fax and just after we get all the notes and stuff, it just finds its way into a shredder or furnace. I mean, this is all. I got my tinfoil hat on a little bit, but, I mean, this is real. Stuff like this happens. Nobody wants to believe that cheating happens until we get a documentary 20 years later. And then it comes out that, oh, God, these guys actually were cheating and that the people that thought they were cheating weren't that crazy and so do i believe these guys are out and out cheating no and do i believe that that's a gray area where it's not like black and white cheating but is it right no but who what, what can you do if you were the teams and the brands you would do the exact same thing i would do the exact same thing so i'm not necessarily criticizing the teams for for doing it i'm more so criticizing the fia for potentially allowing it and that's kind of where I stand on on this old like development. Now we'll have to wait and see and see if anything actually becomes of this this uh, these just rumors because right now that's all it is. It's just rumors. And, but it gives us all something to talk about, and it's really exciting. And so, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely something there, though. I mean, these guys are always pushing the limit. These Formula One teams are pushing the limits of the rules and the interpretation of the rules down to a T. They have some of the smartest people in the entire world working on these teams. And so, yeah, I think that they're pushing it a little bit. But 
who knows what will come of this. We'll have to wait and see. But I'll tell you what, though, if Red Bull comes, if it comes out that Red Bull have broken the cost cap again, you got to start stripping titles, like point blank period. There's no way around it because you let them off easy the first time. If you let them off easy again, you might as well just X the whole cost cap to begin with and go back to letting Mercedes and Ferrari spend $700 million a year on their cars because there's literally no purpose in having the cost cap if they broke it again and you let them off easy again. But yeah, that's my that's my tinfoil conspiracy rant uh, for now. There have also been a couple of rumors about the Andretti Cadillac project and how they're running into difficulties. And we all knew that this was going to happen. The teams don't want another team in. Because, well, one, that's kind of, that's another team to compete with. That's two more drivers to compete with. Two, that's another piece of the pie that you have to split up in order to um, adjust for the prize money. And so that's another team that you have to, to account for when it comes to prize money. And I was actually suggested a really good idea and something that I just wanted to kind of put on the table and see what everybody's thoughts were on this this potential concept because it's interesting, and I think that it's really fun and really could be cool. Now, will this happen? I'll preface this by saying I don't think any of this is going to happen. I think teams are way too prideful, and the logistics of it just wouldn't work with TV contracts and sponsorships and that sort of thing. But it's just from a pure racing perspective, boy, would it be fun. So the idea that was presented to me was potentially saying that, okay, the issue that the teams have with not wanting to let the Andretti Cadillac project in and racing against them is that they don't want to split the prize money and sort of the competition reasons, even though they won't say it's because of competition. And so to circumvent that issue and to allow more teams to potentially get into F1 you change the qualifying format and go back to, I think they had this before at some point, but a pre-qualifying. So you have to qualify just to be able to participate in the race. So keep the grid at 20 slots. So there's 20 slots no matter what. And you have to pre-qualify to even be able to participate in the Grand Prix, if that makes sense. So say Andretti Cadillac create a team and then we'll just say Porsche for shits and giggles. We'll, we'll say Porsche creates a team. So that's four more drivers that want to participate. Now, in order to participate in, let's say, the Hungarian Grand Prix, you have to, all the drivers would have, all 24 drivers would have to compete in pre-qualifying and only 20 drivers get to make it. So you just, you eliminate the bottom four drivers and they don't get to participate in the race weekend. They don't move on to actual qualifying and the Grand Prix weekend, which I think is a more exciting concept than the sprint concept that we have right now. I think the sprints are are cool, but I think that they're lacking a little bit in excitement and the drivers really just don't want to take risks in the sprint because it's just not worth it. But I think that this pre-qualifying 14 team or 12 team prospect is really exciting due to the fact that you're the teams are under pressure every single weekend and you have to continue developing your car because the issue right now is that the teams will stop developing the car halfway through the season when they know that they've pretty much capped out 
their maximum potential this season. So a team like Haas or Williams will say, okay, well, we're locked in at ninth in the Constructors' Championship. We're not getting any higher. We're not getting any lower. We'll just stop development on the car this year, and we'll focus on next year, on 2024. And so to basically nip that in the bud, you force them to have to pre-qualify for every Grand Prix weekend. And so that forces teams to continue developing the car throughout the year because if you don't, then you won't pre-qualify to participate. And then you don't get to participate at all. It would make it exciting between, like, the drivers. So somebody has a bad pre-qualifying and now you don't get to participate in the race. So, like, let's say Lewis has a bad pre-qualifying or there's an issue with the car he doesn't pre-qualify only george only one mercedes in the race that weekend which is could be super exciting from a consumer standpoint but this is where the issue lies in that exact reasoning and the fact that tv contracts espn sky sports fans they want to see the top teams and the top drivers every single weekend no matter what now maybe you could change that by implementing like a merit system meaning that okay if you finish top five like all the top five constructors let's say they don't have to do pre-qualifying and they're locked in for the race they just go straight to qualifying but then that's how is that fair for the bottom five teams and the rest of the teams that are fighting as well so it's it's all these things these tidbits that you have to point through and i'm just talking right now that this stuff will never happen the team's currently on the grid would never go for it it's too much of a risk and there's really little to no incentive for them to want to agree to it but i just think that it would be exciting as a as a prospect and as a concept but yeah the the fans and the tv contracts and stuff and the big wigs over at like espn and stuff they want to see ferrari mercedes red bull mclaren every single weekend participating in races that hurts as far as the team sponsorships, because the whole reason for the teams having sponsors is the cars are an advertising board. So the the sponsors want to put their logos on the car because they know that the cars will get seen throughout the race weekend. And so that's how they generate their revenue and get their money back from their initial investment into the team. So yeah, if the, if the car isn't, if McLaren is or Mercedes isn't participating in the race, now their sponsors are not getting seen on TV, which is a problem. So yeah, I don't think that it works out long term, but I think that it would be an exciting concept just for uh, from a sporting perspective and from a fan perspective because there would be so much pressure every single week for all of the teams to put their best foot forward and create a good result every week in and week out. And not have and have to actually worry about the back marker teams and the mid pack teams nipping at their heels every single weekend. So yeah, I think that was a that was a good episode, man. I feel like we covered a lot today. And I don't really think I have anything else. Yeah, it was it, this was cool, man. I really I really rock with kind of doing the race reviews and stuff, but also getting to touch on a little bit more of the fun concepts because getting blabbling on about racing and stuff like that just gets it can get boring for me at some times just because I know that 
especially with now this season, the 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 races are pretty much the same result every single weekend, and we're not getting too much excitement from the racing. Now, if this was 2021, we'd be having a completely different conversation because every single weekend was so intense, but it's not that way currently. And, yeah, man, this was this was fun. Wanted to get on here, chat to you guys. And, yeah, just let me know what you guys think about those concepts about Red Bull breaking the cost cap, the the hypercars, and using the hypercars as a mode of research and development to circumvent the cost cap. And then even my quote-unquote like new concept for pre-qualifying and bringing new teams into the grid and that sort of thing. I think that's an exciting, exciting uh, prospect. But, yeah, wherever you're listening to this, before I finish up, man, make sure you guys subscribe. I've picked up some followers and subscribers through uh, the last episode. I'm really excited about that. So thank you all to anybody who engages with this. Um, it mean, Like I said, it doesn't cost you guys anything to subscribe and follow the show, but it means everything in the world to me. So wherever you're listening to this, audio listeners, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Share it, man. You never know if there's a budding Formula One fan out there and is just waiting for the right person to put them on. Who knows? It could be you. Hell, hit me up. Let's tune into a race one weekend. Let me put you on, man. It's a great sport to watch. And it'll definitely give you something to watch during this this dead period in sports where we're at right now where there's no football, no basketball, a lot of people are not super diehard baseball fans to the point to where they're watching regular season baseball. And, I mean, we got MLS. Messi played his first match um, two nights ago for Inter-Miami, scored the game-winning goal off a free quick kick. It was exciting. But, yeah, Formula One's definitely something to get into uh, during this dead period in, in sports. But, yeah, make sure if you're listening to this on YouTube – Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Turn on the bell for the notification so you know that every time that I drop something. And then, yeah, man, like the video, share it, leave a comment. Let me know what you guys think. And I will see you guys on the next one. Next weekend, we are in Belgium at Spa-Francorchamps, one of the greatest tracks ever created and should be exciting, humongous track, legendary. And we'll be off to the summer break after that. But I will keep the content flowing, keep you guys posted on everything that's new. Make sure you follow me on all my social media, at Naldo Formula One, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, threads, all of that stuff, man. That'll do it. I am out. Peace.